This is Tax Security Podcast, episode 18, and today we're going to be discussing some really useful commands in the TAC that we use when troubleshooting network problems on the ASA and IPS platforms. And these are commands that we find very useful, we use them every day, but we found that a lot of uh, the network administrators may not know about them, right? So we really want to talk about them so that maybe if you find them useful, you can use them in your daily activities on your ASA or your IPS platforms as well. We actually have a major announcement first. Uh, I want to just stop everything here and announce the really good news. Newsflash. Newsflash. Newsflash coming in. Magnus Mortensen, longtime panelist, finally passed the CCIE. Yay! So yep. how's it feel, Magnus? It, it feels good. I'm uh, number, what was it, 28219, 28,219. That's a lot of CCIEs out there, but man, does it feel good. That's great. I can tell you, uh, you know, I get home now, and I actually have nothing to do. It's weird. I just basically <laughs> sit around, make some food, watch some that, TV, kind of veg out. It's kind that of nice. is the weirdest feeling that you get to start living your life again. I remember yeah. that. I feel like an animal that was released back into the wild. You know, yeah. they opened up the cage door, and I just kind of stood there. I'm like, I didn't really know where to go from here. But it's definitely a, a welcome feeling. You know, so this is, what, the third try? <laughs> third try. I, I passed on my fourth try, so don't feel bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't feel like that either. <laughs> well, I, okay, so they cha- I, I took two of the version one security test and then I passed my second try on the version two security test. So what versions did you take, Magnus? Uh, I started off with two swings on version two and then I got it on uh, the first swing on three. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, it, it's definitely a, a good feeling. And from what I've heard, the older version one was, was, was pretty, pretty frightening. It's uh, kind of rough. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, the pre-version, what was it? You went from 1 to 2, Jay. That was probably the biggest leap, right? The biggest change. Big leap, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, Magnus, um, tell us the day you passed the test. How was that test when you took it? How, how were you prepared differently, or how was that different for you versus the ones where you did not pass? I, I think since, you know, in the past couple attempts, the the weak spots that I saw were, you know, primarily my VPN sections. So I definitely focused a lot more on that and it really paid off. Um, you know, being able to take multiple technologies and overlay them on top of one another, you know, multiple VPN types and being able to get it all working, uh, I found to be pretty essential to, um, you know, understanding how each component interacts with one another and, you know, how in some cases they don't interact well at all. Um, and being able to kind of work out those kind of kinks. Uh, it taught me a lot about the different technologies. So, you know, I definitely felt a lot more prepared going into it this time than I did the, the past two. Um, and I, I guess I kind of proved it out. <laughs> did you know that you would, some people say, like when I passed on my fourth attempt, I, I pretty much knew that it, unless I had really screwed something up that I didn't know about, I had passed. So did you feel that same way? Yeah, you know, after after the uh, the lunch and over here in RTP, Fridays are Fish Fridays. So, you know, if you like fish, it's a great day for a test. But, um, <laughs> you know, after the lunch had settled, uh, you know, I figured I've gotten this far, you know, most of everything was working and I spent a good portion of the, the remainder of the day just verifying, you know, making sure that trying to fix one question, trying to, you know, answer one question didn't inadvertently break, you know, two other questions. Um, you know, obviously there were some things that I didn't have finished that I had, you know, pushed off to the end because I simply didn't, you know, know how to pr- approach them. And uh, the second half of the day was, you know, definitely paramount to verifying things were good uh, and just, you know, dotting I's and crossing T's. 
Well, congratulations, and that means that this podcast panel is now 100% CCIE certified. Very so good. one other yep. thing to ask, so there, there's probably a lot of listeners that are interested in the, taking the CCIE, but um, haven't taken it yet mm-hmm. and experienced I know we did an episode, I think it was back episode five, where we talked about yep. how to prepare for the CCIE. I think it was episode six, actually. So uh, one question for you, Magnus, is... You know, I hear a lot from customers that uh, when they took the older versions of the security exam, that it seemed like they thought Cisco was testing them on the more obscure features. You know, they, they had to, even though they knew how to configure this stuff um, and knew, you know, worked with the product day to day, they still couldn't go in and pass the CCIE because there was a lot of, you know, commands that never get used, um, commands that no one would really know about except in the exception case, and stuff that's like hidden in footnotes of documentation. So what did you feel, you know, with respect to that and taking the test? I mean, I, I can only really judge based on the difference between version 2 and version 3, and I can tell you it's it's definitely more realistic to an everyday kind of job. Um, there's a lot of different features that are on the test, but they are, you know, broad in nature. You know, it's common things that you would see in a network topology or in an enterprise network, um, different technologies, but none, nothing that's like a weird gotcha kind of thing or a really obscure, like, why would anybody do it that way kind of moment. Um, it was definitely, I would say, a very fair test, a very fair assessment of what a network engineer would be expected to know in their environment, right? And uh, Jay, I, you you took the version one and the version yeah, two. Yeah, I, I can I can speak to that. That version one, when I took that test, I was kind of dismayed that being a firewall expert, you know, I, I I didn't feel like it tested me on the firewall portion anyway, on you know the things that I do every day with customers, right? And then when I took version two, even though I knew I had failed the first time I took the test, I walked out of the test smiling because I knew that it was it was passable, yeah. the test was relevant, and that I would pass it, right? Because I knew the material, um, and it was relevant material to everyday jobs, not just, you know, in the tech, but also any firewall administrator that wants to gain that next level of, you know, knowledge about the product, I knew that it was a good test. It was act- it, it made sense and it was really good. And I'm sure that, you know, I haven't taken version three, obviously, but um, I'm sure version three is even better than version two. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I sensed it was a marked improvement. Yeah, and I that's what I was striving for, right? And that's what we strive for in creating the exams. That, you know, I I just try to push that. It's applicable so that when people go in and take it, there's two things. One, that, you know, if they're working on the equipment in their day job, they can get all the questions right. And two, if they don't know a question or an answer, um, then it's all, it's educational. You know, it's something that we want people to know about. So the questions are both common things as well as um, best practice things that are yeah. on it. Yep. Okay. Well, Magnus, again, congratulations. And thank you, thank you. Let's go ahead and get into today's uh, technical topic. Again, we're talking about useful very useful features and commands on uh, the ASA and IPS products, but ones that not a lot of our um, customers and uh, network administrators know about. So, Dave, why don't you kick it off? Sure. So one of the first ones, it's it's obscure in the sense that there's probably not hardly anybody that knows about the command, but it's called show parser dump all. And what that does is it dumps the in- every single command that you can run on an ASA, whether it be exec command or config command, it dumps all those commands out, and at the very first um, entry in the command, or the first uh, column, shows the privilege level. And so what th- why that's important is if you are going in and you want to set specific privilege levels so that certain uh, uh, users or administrators can execute some commands but not others, and you want to know what the default setting is, it's a very 
quick and easy way of seeing what that default setting is for the privilege level. So that's uh, one use. But there's also, you know, other uses for it if you're searching for, um, you know, different all the options of a given command. You can, you know, pipe that to include and and or grep and specify um, a regular expression there to filter out. So it's uh, it comes in handy occasionally, but uh, it's an obscure command and just something that uh, we'd like you to know about. Yeah, along the same lines is the help command. I don't think many customers and you know uh, users of the ASA uh, know about this at all, right? The help command you can run in uh, exec mode or in config mode. So say you're in config mode and you want to configure network address translation. You can type help space nat and hit enter and it'll show you some, the, you know, the command syntax for the nat command as well as all of the arguments and give you uh, a little nice contextual explanation for each one of the arguments as well. So it's really helpful to not only understanding you know what you can type there but what actually the arguments mean and what they do. So um, this may be sort of a CCIE you know uh, tip to use the show parser dump and also the help command if you're not sure about a particular uh, command that you need to use. Yeah, another um, useful, I just remembered another reason that some people use the show parser dump all is they might want to know what commands were added across versions. Um, and you can do show parser dump all from two different versions and then diff that output um, is another use for it. But yeah, the help command, I agree. It's something that back in the PIX days um, was used all the time because we didn't have context sensitive help. So meaning we didn't have the iOS parser so you couldn't go into a command and do a question mark to see what options there were or what additional keywords you could add to a command. So in other words, if you were doing nat inside question mark, it wouldn't tell you what it was. So the only alternative was to type help nat. And so it's kind of stuck along, but I agree. I don't think it's a, it's a great, great command because I, I don't think it's, it's used much t anymore these days. But we do provide a lot of uh, input there uh, or text there to kind of explain what the command is as well as all the options to it. Yep, and next up we've got the show process command, and uh, this is particularly useful, or a, a variation of this command is particularly useful if you're trying to find out what process is using the CPU on your ASA. So if you have an ASA that's running at high CPU, and you know we would usually consider an ASA as r starting to get hot or in the you know danger zone with CPU when it gets. I don't know, 40 or 50 or 60 percent. That means that there could be spikes in traffic um, that are uh, intermittent. But once the C CPU of the ASA gets to 100 uh, percent, it's going to start dropping packets because it processes all the packets in the main CPU. So um, CPU is definitely something to watch on the ASA. And previously, uh, the only way you could uh, see what particular processes on the firewall we're using the CPU was the show proc command and it would dump out the total runtime in milliseconds for every process on the firewall and that was a pain for the TAC because we would have to ask our um, our customers to get two show process outputs after you know 10 seconds apart and then we would take them and just do a diff and from that we could tell which process used the most CPU during that time but the good thing is we now have the show process CPU usage command which shows a percentage output over the last five seconds of which processes were using the CPU. You can also use show process CPU usage sort which does what you think it would. It, it just it sorts the CPU usage from uh, greatest to least so you can quickly identify what processes on your ASA are using the most CPU at that time. So it's a very useful command that we use in the TAC. Yeah, and there's also the non-zero option as well to only display um, processes that have runtime.
And one of the nice things about getting this usage functionality is it allows, you know, our end users to actually do some processor troubleshooting on their own, right? You know, otherwise you're going to have to go through and diff the two show procs. And that was, you know, cumbersome for TAC, let alone end customers, right? So, you know, it helps you do a little bit of initial triage to identify what your problem could be on your own. Yeah, and initial uh, later versions of ASDM have this feature uh, within the monitoring tab of ASDM, so you can you can view this stuff within the GUI. Uh, some things to note is that is that um, for the main packet processing functions of the firewall, you know, moving packets from one interface to another, performing address translation, that sort of thing, the process that's going to be responsible for that is going to show up as the dispatch unit. So if you see the dispatch unit using most of your CPU on a busy firewall, that makes sense because that's the process that is in charge of handling those packets. The other thing is um, we get some questions sometimes about the ASA 5505 platform. There's a specific process that's running all the time and it's in charge of uh, polling and um, you know, checking on the status of the embedded switch ports on the 5505, and it will always show up as ESW underscore stats. That's the process name, and it'll always use between 12 and 16% and of the CPU. So you'll always see the CPU of the ASA 5505 hovering around um, a little over 10%, even when there's no traffic passing through it. But it's important to know that that uh, process runs at a very low um, weight so it, it will yield to other higher priority processes yeah, if, a, if they need to use it. Yeah, it's a low priority so the processes are based on priority and it's a pulling process so that's why you constantly see it essentially spinning there. So the one of the other commands that at least I've found very useful in troubleshooting uh, you know, a whole plethora of different issues. And this only comes into play when you have a, uh, you know, an HA pair, an active standby pair of firewalls, is the failover exec mate command. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to log into, say, the active firewall and run this failover exec mate followed by the command you want to run on the standby firewall. Or if we're specifying uh, mate, it's essentially whichever is the other firewall. You can run this on your standby firewall. It'll run that command on the mate, in that case the active, or vice versa. So you log into whichever firewall you can get to. You run failover, exec, mate, and then show version. And that'll tell you the show version output from the other firewall in that pair. Um, I've seen this become an essential command when, you know, for some reason that other pair, uh, the other firewall in a pair is not accessible by SSH or console access, and the only way that we can really get any output is over that failover link in between them. And this command allows us to pull that information. Yeah, and this is one of those commands in the TAC where if we're troubleshooting a problem with a customer and it's failover and, and we need this command, if, if we see the customer's running a version that um, doesn't have it, we groan, right? Because this is one we really, really like and it's very, very useful. Here, uh, yeah, it, here's it, I was going to say it's critical for if you're connected to the console port, right? Because if you're, if you're SSH'd in or something like that, you could always start a new SSH session. But if you're um, physically plugged into the console, say you're in a data center and you're getting information, um, to the physical console port, it's not it's not quite as easy to unplug and replug into the other device. Um, so yeah. it's it's really you know useful to like you said execute commands. It's also can be done to upgrade, right? So you can copy an image on the unit that you're on, as well as copy an image to the peer, set the boot variable, and then there's also another um, sister command to failover execmate. It's called failover reload standby. So if you're on the the uh, active, you can reload the standby just using the failover reload standby command. 
And Magnus Brain Teaser, what happens if you run failover exec mate failover exec mate? So if I'm on the active, what happens if I try to run a command that runs a command on the standby to run a command on the active box? The developers have checked for that, and it'll bark back saying recursion <laughs> not allowed. But yeah, okay. you That's know, just, a good thing. you know, not to harp on this command too much longer. But one of the things that I've uh, one of the cases that I see often is if somebody's running dynamic routing in their environment, and you know they're a few hops away. Well, you know, our standby firewalls, uh, you know, usually don't have the, the routes on them to access, you know, from within the network. So you can't SSH to it because it doesn't know how to get back to you. This allows you to still get that output without having to have static routes, etc. Okay, next up is the show localhost command, and that's a really um, useful command that we use in the TAC a lot. A localhost on the ASA is really just a container object that contains um, AAA information, translations, and connections for every IP host that's seen on any interface of the firewall. So if you've got a PC on the inside of your inside interface of the ASA, it's going to have a localhost uh, object on the firewall associated with it, and if you do show localhost and then you put the IP address there, you can see all of the translations, um, the authentication information, as well as the connections that are active for that host. Sometimes we get TAC cases in where uh, a firewall is overloaded or being bombarded by packets from a malicious user on the inside or a particular IP address uh, PC at an IP address may have a worm or a virus and it's scanning the internet or sending a lot of traffic through the firewall or trying to create a lot of new connections. And uh, tracking that through the firewall using the show localhost command because it'll show you the number of connections per localhost, that's something that we did for a long time and we would have to run show localhost pipe include and then put in a, a particular string that would match the line in the show localhost output that would match how many connections that host had. Well we needed a better way to see which hosts through the firewall had the most connections open. And so recently uh, an argument was added to the show localhost command and that's show localhost connection. And what you can do with that is you can say, alright firewall tell me all of the local hosts that are passing traffic through the firewall that have a minimum number of TCP connections. Right. So if you know that for some reason your firewall is very overloaded with TCP connections you're seeing that um, you're you've got a lot more than you're used to seeing on your firewall. You can use the show localhost connection TCP command and specify some very high number of connections and the firewall will only show you localhosts that have that many connections or more open. So it's a good way to track down malicious or rogue hosts that might be creating too many connections through the firewall. Yeah, Jay, I've used um, you know the show localhost output, you know, even in its earlier stages to help customers identify, you know, they're seeing, uh, if you do like a show con count and they've got a ton of connections, I want to know who's doing it. Well, you know, looking at that show local host output, you'd see those outliers in the connection counts. You know, it'd say host, you know, 192.16a.1.10 on the inside has 25,000 connections and everybody else has like five. And you're like, well, there's something strange going on with that host. And usually that's where the customer ends up finding, you know, some worm or something else going on abnormally on the host. Uh, it's just a great way to get an overall look at, you know, kind of a baseline of what's going on in your network, right? What is all the connections that your hosts are making counts for each one of them. It's a very good sort of snapshot command. Yeah, and so the next command is uh, one that I ended up using all the time when I was troubleshooting uh, firewall cases with customers, and that's the show service dash policy flow. 
And if you're familiar with the, uh, the modular policy framework or the class maps and the policy maps and the service policy structure on the ASA that defines you know, what will happen to individual flows of traffic, what this command does is it allows you to designate a five tuple, so two hosts and their respective ports and a protocol, and it allows you to see what policies would be applied to that flow if a packet actually flowed through the firewall that, that matched that five tuple. So you do a show space service dash policy space flow, and then you give it a five tuple, so a protocol and a host and its port and another host and its port, and it'll show you all the policies that that, that flow would hit. Yeah, and it's uh, it's analogous, similar, I guess I should say, to the packet tracer command, except where the packet tracer is different is it's actually injecting a packet and showing all actions on include access list, route lookups, and stuff like that. And the difference is show service policy flow is only for the inspections, the class maps, um, policy map, and service policy, what gets applied to it. And so if you're only interested in you know, making sure, trying to determine which class map is taking effect um, or which policy map is taking effect, it's a, it's a very useful command for that. And, and as we see, you know, customers, they start to build out very complex class map. Uh, configurations. I know with the the CSC module, for example, we have some best practices that say, you know, a very specific style of class map should be used. All of that starts to make the configurations a little bit longer, a little bit more difficult to troubleshoot, and show service policy flow gives us the ability to say, what are we doing to this flow, right? What is, what is it going to hit? Uh, it definitely helps us go through and avoid piecing together in a, co a configuration. We know right off with one command what's going to happen. Yep. Next up is the show nat pool command. Uh, this one has been added in recent versions, and what it allows you to do is have visibility into uh, an ASA that's doing network address translation, specifically port address translation. For uh, the ASA doing translation for a group of hosts on the inside to a particular global IP address, right, for port address translation, it'll divide up the uh, range of global port it uses when building the translation into one of three pools. Um, pool the first pool is port 1 to 511, the second pool is port 512 to 1023, and the third pool is 1024 to the top of the range, which is 65,000. Um, so previously we didn't have a good way to gain visibility into how many of the IP addresses in each of those pools is utilized. So how many of the ports within the pool is utilized? Yeah, so it, it, with the show nat pool command, if you run show nat pool, um, on your ASA, you'll see that it breaks out all of the different global IP addresses that you have configured on the ASA. It'll show each individual global IP address you have configured on the firewall, and for each global IP, it breaks down all three ranges by protocol, TCP or UDP, and it shows the number of global ports in each IP that is allocated. So this is a good way to see if you need to add if you need to start adding more IP addresses to your global pool, um, this is a good way to see if you're gaining, getting up to that utilization point. And we see a lot of uh, customers like um, ISPs or mobile service providers that are doing a lot of PAT translations. This is a very useful command for them to use. Yeah, and as Jay mentioned, it was recently added. Uh, it was actually added in the 831 release on the ASA. And the firewall service module has a very similar command. It's called show global usage, and that's in the FWSM 4.1 um, version of code. So another useful command that um, people might not be aware of is the show run and then specify a feature name. So everyone probably knows the show run command displays the entire configuration 
and often people use show run pipe include or pipe grep for a given regular expression. That's really useful, but it only returns the commands that match that regular expression. So if you're looking for access list entries, um, show run pipe include access list uh, will give you what you want to know. But if you're want to know something that uh, a feature that has multiple commands to that makeup of that specific feature, for example, like route tracking or even say the interface, you know, under an interface it has subcommands for the IP address and name if and stuff like that, and you can't grep that stuff out. So you could do pipe begin interface, but the other option is show run interface. And since interface is the feature, it lists all the interfaces and their subcommands. Do the same thing with show run webvpn. And analogous to that is the clear configure command. So if you want to remove a line of configuration, everyone knows you can just put a no in front of any command line to remove it, but if you have to remove a feature, you can do clear configure and that feature name, and I'll remove all commands associated with that feature in one simple step. Yep, and this is extremely useful. Uh, when we're on troubleshooting firewalls, very rarely do I just do a show run and display the entire configuration and parse through it. That's usually several steps down the road. For time, a lot of times we're, you know, there's it's a network down situation or there's some major problem. We're just focusing on the one feature that we know is being affected. So if we know there's an address translation problem, we're going to run show run NAT and show run route to understand the routes that are configured and maybe the show route to see the active routing table. But we can very quickly uh, just see the information and the configuration for the features we need. So show run feature is definitely definitely on the top of my list. It's great. Yeah, I've, I've had a couple of cases on older versions of FWSM code where we don't have that kind of parser functionality, where I get so pumped, I do a show run that, and it just starts dumping the whole oh, running yeah, config. It's terrible. And it's such a cut to the Achilles tendon, you know. But, yeah. um, you know, another thing that I've seen kind of help us out in a pinch um, is actually both getting output and making changes over the HTTPS management connection, basically being... Um, ASDM, like making ASDM style uh, communication to the firewall without actually running ASDM. Uh, the same way that you run commands on the CLI, you can pipe them through an HTTPS session to the firewall. So for example, let's say I want to get the output of show version. Well, the same way I would normally access ASDM, you know, HTTPS, the IP address of the firewall, slash. In this case, I would type exec, E-X-E-C, slash and then a command uh, show space version your browser will you know switch the space to be a percent 20 and pass it along and the output that comes back is whatever the output would have been on the command line from that command if you were to run it there so you'd get the full show version dumped back to you same thing you can uh, you know do a show run you can even make changes you can add a route you can any CLI command that you can logically do you can pipe through that same HTTPS session uh, I've had this you know come in real handy in a pinch when we're trying to monitor a device for example and we want to get periodic output well what we're able to do is just set up like a cron job or something along that nature to just make an HTTPS call and just grab that output and record it to a file a lot simpler than having to SSH into something and you know run commands and expect scripts and everything else yeah we've used it um, before if we didn't have console access to a box, but there was a bug, you know, the customers were using SSH and there was a bug or there were, had a problem where all the SSH, all five SSH connections were used up. Um, and for some reason, you know, they didn't have 
ASDM loaded or, or some problem that we couldn't connect with ASDM, if we wanted to do something, we could always connect to the HTTPS, assuming the server is running and you're permitting it, and, and issue the command. Now, the, the one um, thing that you cannot do with it is if the command is in a sub-mode, there's no way of issuing, you know, getting into the sub-mode with one command and then issuing that sub-mode command with a follow-up command. That doesn't work because there's no persistence of the command like there is on the CLI. Yeah, so you couldn't assign a new IP address to an interface, but you could uh, turn on Telnet if you needed to access your inside interface via Telnet. You could clear an SSH session if you needed to uh, kick out a user. It, it's very handy. This is really a neat one that we use a lot and definitely useful. Yeah, and, and very similar to that is grabbing the capture through HTTPS as well. So if yeah, you do that's a great. packet capture, um, you know, before you always had to TFTP it off. Uh, now we actually got them to add the uh, packet capture wizard where you can actually pull the packet capture off via ASDM but prior to that you know if you don't want to use TFTP it was kind of a pain to get the capture off so you could always do it through the HTTPS stream by you know specifying the IP and then you put slash capture slash the capture name and then you always have to remember to put slash PCAP um, to tell it to pull the file in PCAP format. Hey, hey guys I hate to break it to you I was just testing this here real quick you can actually uh, run sub-interface commands like uh, changing really? an IP address on an interface or a name if you can get into those sub-commands by specifying them in the same query so let's say I want to change an IP address um, on an interface you know obviously I would have to get into the interface config so my URL that I would be querying would say exec slash int and then the name of the interface in this case uh, Ethernet zero slash zero. Now here's where it gets tricky. If that command int zero int Ethernet zero slash zero, if since it has that slash in there, you actually have to replace that slash with the hexadecimal representation percent two f. Uh, you can always look at you know an ASCII table to see what that would uh, equate to, but it is percent two f. Then slash again. IP space address 192.168 yada yada. So as you traverse deeper into subcommands, they're all done in one single line with slashes in between the commands, forward slashes. So again, to change an IP address, it would be exec slash int ethernet 0 percent 2f 0 slash IP space address space whatever address you want to give it and that first sends that first command in your list the int command the int ethernet 0 slash 0 and then once that's been executed on the same request it then sends the IP address command so you can get into those subcommands you just have to do them all in one long and line and that is why we keep Magnus around yeah I've been doing this for <laughs> like six years Magnus how did you I had no idea how did you just figure that out um, it, it was something I had vaguely remembered seeing in a previous case where we were debugging ASDM issues and weird sort of HTTP server problems, and I saw this really long request oh, being made in the debug. So I was like, uh, I wonder if you can do I it that see, way. I see. Cool. Yeah. 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 And so one ad uh, one additional thing that we should add is that you you can't just go to the HTTP server and run these commands. You you do have to authenticate in order to do so, and you authenticate with the same user that you have set up for ASDM. So when you, when you try to go to this URL that runs a particular command, it's just going to punt up an, an auth prompt to you, and you type in your username and password, and then it'll actually execute the command on the device. Another interesting command that's legacy from the PIX days is uh, the perfmon command. So you can issue show perfmon to see rates of different things, so like connection rates, um, UDP, 
connection creation rates, TCP connection creation rates, or um, auths per second, um, URL lookups per second. And so with that, there's also a command called perfmon verbose, and that'll actually display that output periodically. It's every five seconds, I believe, by default, You can, which you can change with perfmon interval. But if you type perfmon verbose, it'll display that output every five seconds, so you can get just a running tally, you know, just you can look down and see what type of tra or the amount of traffic going through your box at any given time. So another interesting command. And uh, one more here for the uh, ASA platform. Uh, I found this one to come in in a pinch when I don't have ease of access to, for example, a TFTP server or an FTP server that I can upgrade and you know put an image on and then TFTP or grab it uh, on the ASA so that I can upgrade a firewall. There's a function, and for those people who use uh, Linux boxes often, you're probably familiar with the concept of SCP. It allows you to basically do a file transfer over an SSH session. And with our firewalls, you can enable that functionality. The command is ssh space s copy, one word, s copy, space enable. And that turns the ASA into an SCP server. So you can actually, from, you know, if you've got a Linux box or a Mac or something like that, you can SCP an image from your machine to that box. You don't have to set up a TFTP server or an FTP server, HTTP, and put the image there. You can just transfer it over SCP, and it'll store it in Flash, same way that you would do a copy command on the firewall. Uh, obviously, every SCP client's behavior is different, but if you're familiar with SCP, you'll probably find this feature pretty useful. So one other useful feature of the SCP or the secure copy functionality is if you wanted to get your configuration off the ASA securely, the only way of doing it is via HTTPS or via the secure copy. And how you would do it via secure copy is you could copy either the running config or the startup config to a file on the ASA disk, and then SCP into the ASA and copy that file off. So that way the file gets transferred securely. And, and you it allows you a way of scripting a automatic backup every, say, week or every 30 days. So we've been talking a lot about um, single line commands or features on the ASA. Um, ASA also has an IPS module in it as well as we have standalone appliances. So what, what about we kind of shift over and talk about some cool single line commands or features on the IPS? Yeah, so the the best commands to run on the IPS to, to receive information are going to start with show statistics. And there's a lot of parameters that can come after that. But my favorite is show statistics virtual sensor. And the virtual sensor is the, the virtualized component of the sensor that um, has all these inspection attributes tied to it, like a signature rule definition, uh, anomaly detection definition, etc. So when you do a show statistics virtual sensor, you're showing all of the statistics that are derived from all of those components that are attached to that particular virtual sensor. So a show statistics virtual sensor has a ton of output. It's a very, very long verbose command. But there are some key items that I always look at when I'm running this on a customer's box to see what the IPS is currently experiencing and what it's experienced in the past. So just to start off from top down and show stat vert um, for short is the number of seconds since a reset of the statistics. And that is key. So when we jump on a customer's box and we see that the, that the, uh, the statistics have not been reset for multi-thousands of seconds, 
we just say that we're looking at stale statistics. So if we see one statistic where the number is extremely high, indicating some network event or potentially even an issue, we say it's stale because we don't know when in all of those seconds that that actually occurred. So the number of seconds since a reset of the statistics is a key line in ShowStatVert. The next thing that, that I like to look at is the processing load percentage. And that kind of gets us into how do I tell how hard my IPS is working. The CPU statistics um, on an IPS, uh, like you would normally do a show proc CPU on other devices, on other Cisco devices, that's not as useful on the IPS because of the way that we do inspection and the way that we utilize the CPU. So the statistic that's going to give you a lot better idea of how hard the IPS is working is the processing load percentage. And that was implemented um, in 7.0, uh, I believe 6.1 and 6.2 as well. It, it was not resident in, uh, in 6.0. So um, the next thing that I'll look at is the total number of packets that have been processed. And the, the actual line is packets processed since a reset, right? So it tells you how many packets have has the IPS actually seen in this virtual sensor since a reset of the statistics. So you can take that number um, and divide it by the number of seconds and kind of get a good idea of the rate of traffic. In addition to the number of packets, we also show you the bytes, and then we'll start breaking down the rate of packets per second and the rate of bytes per second so that you can get a good idea of throughput. Directly under TCP normalizer stage statistics is, a, is an extremely useful uh, set of output, and that is the actual signature counters, so the number of times that a signature is fired. And you'll find that under a header called SIG event preliminary stage statistics. And then after a little while, after some uh, signatures have actually fired, you'll just see line after line of SIG, and then the SIG ID, and then the counter for that SIG ID. Now why is that so useful? Well, each signature has actions that are assigned to it. It can be produce alert, it can be deny connection inline, it can be log uh, pair packets. But the produce alert is key there, and that's also key for troubleshooting because that'll tell you when the signature fired, I now get a notification that that signature fired. But what happens if you don't have a produce alert action on the signature? How do you ever know that it, that it fired? Well, you can do a show stat vert and pipe include capital SIG, SIG, and that'll include all the lines of, of signature firings, their ID, and then the number of times that they fired. One of the red flags that we see is if we see any sub-signature of the 1330 signature fired. And those all have to do with TCP anomalies. And if you see the duplicate pound packet counter increasing, you're also going to see 1330 firings. And immediately, that's a red flag to any TAC engineer that's looking through a ShowStat vert or a ShowTech from the IPS. If we see that, something's wrong. You know, and we're seeing packets duplicate times, or we're seeing out of order segments, what have you. There's, there's a lot of normalizer signatures. Okay, so the next feature that, that I find extremely useful is IP logging. And you can approach IP logging in two different ways. You can either define an IP log such that anytime the sensor sees traffic that matches this host, it's just going to grab a bunch of packets and the number of packets is defined as well as the bytes. That's one way of doing IP logging. The other way is to say, if the signature fires, I wanna grab a bunch of packets from this connection that made the signature fire. And so, Configuring it in that manner is done through the actual signature definition. So you check the action for log victim or attacker or pair packets on the signature. And the other one is done kind of as a global operation. You define your IP log.
And the, these features, uh, you know, capturing traffic, that is really helpful, especially uh, on the CCIE, for example. You know, there's two additional commands that you can run on the command line on the IPS. One of them is going to be capture, uh, excuse me, it's, uh, it's a packet capture. The other one is packet display. And they are very similar in function. Packet display is very similar to just running TCP dump and it just outputs, you know, what's being seen on a specific interface, you know, the gig interface, the sensing interface. Uh, packet capture ends up writing it to a file uh, so that you can view it later. The one caveat with that, though, is it only saves one capture file. So as soon as you run it again, it's going to overwrite it. But these are very useful in CCIE-like situations where you want to just verify that, you know, the traffic that you're sending to your sensor is what you expect to be there. So you just run a packet display and you can see that. It's very similar to TCP dump. So that wraps up this episode. Again, we had a lot of fun uh, getting ready for this episode and taping it because uh, we got to talk about things that we really find useful, these small commands that are you know, very useful in finding info out about the product, how it's operating, how it's performing. And a lot of our... Um, you know, external users don't really know about these commands as much. So we hope that you've learned something as well. If you have, or you had some commands that you know that you use that we didn't talk about on today's show, please write us at securityshow at cisco.com. Tell us about the command, and uh, maybe if we get enough of them, we'll do another episode where we talk about some of these more useful, uh, seldom-used commands. Thanks for listening. You can reach us at our webpage at www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast. You can also browse for our website within the uh, Cisco support community by going to supportforums.cisco.com and then going to the fire, uh, the firewalling community or the security community, and you can find a link to our, our episode pages from there. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.